Welcome to Sunstorm, where we get real about what's happening in the world and what we are doing about it, because we are the light in the storm. Hi, I'm Ai-jen Poo. And I'm Alicia Garza. And joining us today on the pod is a woman whose social media account is basically our Bible. We adore her so much. Raquel Willis is the Director of Communications at the Ms. Foundation. She was an editor at Out Magazine. She's a former national organizer at the Transgender Law Center. And she has a book coming out next year. She's so amazing. This woman is so busy, so fantastic, so fabulous, and so brilliant. And we are so happy to have her here. Please welcome Raquel Willis. Hi, I'm so glad to be on. So let's jump into it. There's so much to discuss, but I I really want to kind of start with where you come from. I hear that you identify as a Georgia peach in the Big Apple. (laughs) So if you could bring one Southern thing to New York City, what would it be? And what do you miss the most about the South? Mm, If I could bring anything, it would probably be this gardenia bush that was in my backyard growing up. I always like just reminisce about that scent and being Mm -hmm. a child. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how well you can keep a gardenia bush in a New York apartment, but (laughs) I dream about it sometimes. Sometimes I'm like, maybe I should try it. And then what do I miss the most? I have started to miss other Southern accents. Like, I'm starting to, like, get used to, I guess, like, being away from the South. I have a different, like, attachment to it now. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny because growing up, Mm -hmm. I did not want to have a Southern accent. Mm -hmm. Like, it was so associated with, like, being too country, being, you know, uneducated, being uncultured. And now I really find solace in hearing it. Raquel, following up on the question about the South, what do you think Northern and West Coast people don't get about the Black South? I think that there is this, like, prevailing idea that Black folks in the South just accept systems of oppression and don't actually put up resistance to them. I I think that we have this idea that if you leave the South, then you won't be dealing with white supremacy. You won't be dealing with all of these different ways in which conservatism still reigns in the South and in the U.S. But that's not true. You know, all of those things exist everywhere. And... Actually, when I think about the South, I think of some of the most powerful, resilient, forceful, revolutionary folks trying to shift all of what's wrong in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so I would say those things. I think the South has gotten lost in the social justice shuffle. I kind of like that you said that. Me too. I love that. For the people who are listening, what do you mean by the social justice shuffle? When I think about movements in general, whether it is, you know, like the LGBTQ plus movement or thinking about women's liberation movements or thinking about even the movement for Black lives, like Mm -hmm. the attention on those movements has often been centered in spaces outside of the South, right? 
when we think about the civil rights movement, right, which has been a blueprint for many of those movements, that happened in the South, you know, and a lot of the folks who were a part of that then dispersed out into these other corners of the country. And so when I think about this ongoing fight for liberation in the United States, it would be nothing without the blood, sweat and tears that came out of fights in the South. That's right. You know, one of the things I have always appreciated about you is that you get right to the heart of the matter. <laughs> so I I read the other day two things that you have said. One of them is that we need to focus not just on the deaths of Black trans people, but we need to focus on the lives of Black trans people. And that one hit me like right in my gut, right? I mean, speak about the social justice shuffle. <laughs> There is a a set of phrases that we start to say to each other, right, as a method of being inclusive. (laughs) We're like, hey, actually, you're missing the boat. The whole point of social justice is making sure that people can live full and dignified lives. And so I want to hear more from you about what does it look like for Black trans folks to live full and dignified lives? And how does that get forwarded by our movement? Like, what do we need to be doing? So that's one. Relatedly, I think this is a related question. You know, in August, you tweeted, and I quote, representation without accountability is dangerous. Yeah, that was my favorite. (laughs) Like, literally, I wish you could see there's like goosebumps on my arms right now. So can you talk a little (laughs) bit about that? Yeah, you know, when I, I think about the increased visibility and awareness of Black trans folks and our stories and our experiences over the last, I would say, almost decade now, there has been, you know, an important slate of releases in entertainment, right? You think about Mm -hmm. television or just a new Black pose. You think about kind of what's happening for folks who are actresses or media personalities. Sometimes that includes me um, or models. That all is great, but that doesn't necessarily say that everyday lives of most Black trans people have changed. So there's that kind of positive visibility, but then there's the negative visibility. If it's not those things, it is the deaths, the tragedies, the murders, whether it's by, you know, the state or by folks in our own communities, in our homes. And so there's often no middle ground. And when I say middle ground, I just mean we don't get the experiences of Black trans working people, right? Or Black trans people who are struggling, but at least still living, right? And so that is a problem. As you were were phrasing this question, I was like, well, Black trans people just want to be treated like everyone else. And even I have to like unlearn that conditioning that um, I think all Americans have had, right? Is this idea that all people are created equal, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, well, no, I don't actually just want to be like everyone else because the Black folks that I know who are not trans are not doing well. You know, the other folks of color that I know who are not trans are not doing well. And then I don't actually want to be like a cis straight white man with any privilege that you can think of because Mm. I think that there's actually a lack of empathy 
because of all of those privileges in their lives, right? So I don't Mm -hmm. even actually want to be that. So, Mm -hmm. you know, when I think about Black trans powers, I started to say more, I don't just want to be seen. I don't just want people to bring up my experiences when I'm not in the room. I want them to actually ensure that I am in the room, Mm -hmm. right? And that Mm -hmm. actually as a black trans person with a certain skill or types of experiences, I actually could be a better leader than you, mm. you know? So mm-hmm. what does that, what does it mean to consider that, right? Okay. To consider relinquishing power in that way that doesn't just stop at black trans identity, you know? Mm-hmm. What does it mean for me to relinquish power to folks who have less privileges than me, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's around disability, Someone who is non-binary may not have the privileges that I do as a trans woman who is not invested in the binary. So that's where my head is and I think kind of wrapping myself around that question today. Now ask me tomorrow, I'm sure it will be something else. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think that is brilliant. It makes me think of just the idea that it's not about getting a seat at the table when the table is all messed up for everyone. It's about actually how do we reimagine the systems, the politics, the culture to be one where Black trans people can be fully human and powerful, Mm -hmm. right? It's not about being treated as normal in a normal that is actually really messed up, (laughs) right? I love the way you put that. It was so powerful. Thank you. Mm. to hear about this book because um (laughs) first of all book writers to book writer um books are freaking hard they're hard i would love to hear how your process was because i have been complaining to ijen i know for the last like year and some change about how hard it is to write a book but i also want to hear what is going on in this book what are you talking about what are you not talking about And what can we expect to see? And when can we expect to see it? So it's still slated for a 2021 release, but obviously so much has shifted. Trying to write during this time has been very easy some weeks. And it just like flows out of me, you know, like spring water. And then sometimes it is so difficult to concentrate. So my book initially started as a collection of essays. But, you know, I found myself focusing so much more on my experiences in activism and organizing Mm -hmm. because I think we haven't really heard from Black trans folks in movement. But in the wake of, obviously, the murders of George Floyd, Tony McDade, Breonna Taylor, scores more of Black trans women, Dominique Remy Fells and Raya Mountain, I really pivoted and wanted to focus specifically on the activism and the organizing. I think the ways Black trans folks have always been kind of trying to fight for our voice it has been difficult to navigate spaces that are considered the quote-unquote most woke. That's right. Right? Because that does not necessarily mean that folks know how to show up for people with identities or experiences that they've never really actually been in space with, right? That's right. 
So for me, I'm really excited about focusing on the activism and organizing because mm-hmm. it also seems like there's such an entry point right now. Mm. You know, I didn't grow up with a lens around Black liberation, mm-hmm. right? A, a lens really around social justice. Mm-hmm. I grew up understanding the civil rights movement and how important it was in our history. Mm-hmm. But there was kind of a prevailing idea, I think, in at least the 90s and before for a lot of folks in Augusta, Georgia, where I was from, that things had been won, right? Mm -hmm. And so it was just about the pulling yourself up by the bootstraps kind of argument, right? That there was nothing else to really fight for. And whatever you're struggling with is your shit, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that story obviously doesn't resonate for for much of anyone. Um, But it definitely didn't resonate for my little Black queer self Mm -hmm. growing up with no representation at all, right? Whether it was people who looked and lived and loved like me or had my values. Mm -hmm. I had this beautiful image of you, this image of a future that we're all kind of painting a part of. And yeah, that image is actually really beautiful to me. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we need this book. Like, we need your part of this painting in such a big way. Yes, please. Um, So I cannot wait. And I'm also just in awe of all the incredible women of color who are stepping up and stepping forward right now. I think, isn't it the case that this cycle has more Black women running for Congress than any other year in history? I'm like, again? Amazing. (laughs) Yeah, right. right. Again. That's amazing. All right. So we're in an election season and, you know, I have talked about this many times where I feel like election seasons can be painful for black folk in a lot of ways because I don't know about other folk, but I feel like we get the same litany of tired ass messages about why we need to vote. We vote at higher rates than everybody else. given our percentage of the population. For me, I'm much more interested in figuring out how it is that we close the gap between people who have a direct interest, right, in change happening in their lives now and our electoral system. Meaning there's so much happening in terms of issues that we care about being on the ballot, even though we don't see them that way. So, for example, there's candidates who are running, right, who are incumbents and they've had a long history of anti-LGBT advocacy and have actually built their legislative careers, right, on trying to keep queer and trans people from living full and dignified lives. So that's on the ballot, right? And there's somebody who is challenging those kinds of incumbents and doing so basically along the lines of, I am going to be a better ally to LGBT communities than this incumbent has been for these communities. So I guess my question here, Raquel, is, you know, for Black trans folks, what's at stake in this upcoming election cycle? Because so often 
I feel like black trans folks aren't even talked about when we talk about electoral organizing, right? So I'd like to make sure that we're bringing folk into the conversation. But then the second piece here would be what needs to shift for black trans folk to really see electoral organizing as a tool, (laughs) not the tool, but a tool, given how deeply marginalized folks are. Like everything, I struggle with this. Mm -hmm. Um, I was talking about this with one of my friends the other day, and they rail on and on about people who don't vote. Mm -hmm. Like that is the thing that makes them the most angry about any election and I'm like, oh, it's not the people who voting for <laughs> candidates that you don't care about. No, it's the non-voters. <laughs> and so, you know, a couple of things I was saying was like, first of all, do you really think railing on them is going to get them to do what you want them to do? That's right. So that's also a thing. But what grinds my gears a lot is these moments of demonstrations of electoral powers that people so easily gloss over how deadly the status quo is for many. Mm -hmm. And so it's not enough to just say we're going to return to form. Most people actually need a complete change up, shift up of the form itself. And so I'm not satisfied with being upset or disappointed or angry at people who don't vote. So going more specifically to what's at stake for Black trans folks in this election. I do think even a sliver of difference can mean all the world for a Black trans person. You know, it's been surgical. You know, it's been across the board. You know, young people trying to find themselves our next generation of voices who are going to be more trans than we can even imagine started by telling them that they can't be themselves in schools. That's right. That's then, right. you know, there's the fight against those folks who serve in the military, right? And for all of my reservations around supporting and volunteering to be a part of the U.S. empire in that way, mm-hmm. that is a signal that mm-hmm. it's okay to discriminate against trans people in the workplace, whatever that workplace is, right? That sentiment does spill over. I think about the recent issues around profiling trans people who are trying to find affordable housing, right? Mm -hmm. There was a, um, a guidance, I believe, that came out saying this is how you can tell if someone is trans Mm -hmm. and you can use this as a tool to deny folks access and and services Mm -hmm. so that's kind of my spiel on that how do we get black trans folks Mm -hmm. to feel Mm -hmm. the potential impossibility of electoral power Mm -hmm. i think i rephrased that um and and it was well done Um, (laughs) Well, first of all, I will say, when I think about electoral politics and the potential impossibility of it, the promise of it, I guess, I see that as just a menu of options that you have to try and affect change in in the world, right, or in your community. 
And so when I think about folks who don't see that as a real option, then what are the other things on the menu? And why are we not considering those things as just as important, right? I would love for everyone to see themselves in our electoral system. And I would also love for it to work. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And usually then my question is, okay, well, if you're not going to vote, then what are you going to do? What else Mm -hmm. is in your menu of options, right? Are you doing direct action? You know, are you involved with your church? For me, the first ideals around stewardship and volunteerism that I was exposed to was, you know, believe it or not, in the Catholic Church, because I I grew up Catholic, right? So I I do think that there's organizing that can happen Mm -hmm. in a religious institution or Mm -hmm. in the organizing that may be able to happen when you advocate for people in your workplace, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's through an employee resource group or Mm -hmm. it's in a school where... A student is like, you know, I want to be, you know, a student body president and make sure that we're not using like straws, you know, or or the straws that we do use are like paper straws, you know, (laughs) Um, that is a type of organizing, right? And so I, I do think we can expand this menu of options when we think about organizing. And I think when you find one lane, then you get curious about the other ones too, oh. right? Because you're like, oh, if I can pull this lever and that does something mm. and we can get these paper straws in the lunchroom, mm. what about voting over here? Mm. What can I do to then impact climate change policy on a larger level, Uh right? You know, I I do think that we have got to get creative and innovative about the ways that we make people curious about power, Uh you know, and and curious about what collective power can look like. Mm, I love that. Now, with Black trans folks, I am more concerned about us figuring out how we make sure that people have housing. And affordable housing, right? How do we make sure that people can actually be employed, right? Because just because the Supreme Court says something, we know as people of color, as Black people, as Black women, you know, in in the wake of this centennial celebration of the 19th Amendment, that just because things become, quote unquote, the law of the land does not mean that it actually trickles down to Mm -hmm. the folks who most need it. How are we going to make sure that people have food like the Okra Project works on in in New York, right? Food insecurity for Black trans folks. Mm -hmm. Um, For folks who consider themselves to be allies or comrades or accomplices or whatever word we're using this week, because either way, it's going to be rendered null and void at some point, because that's just how we are. We run through words. (laughs) Um, I want cis people. I want white people. I want folks who think that they have something to contribute to support Black trans power to be considering those other questions before they consider how to use us as an element of their electoral and political agenda. Because I think a lot of times it boils down to that. It's not really how do we necessarily get folks to vote. For a lot of people, it's like, how do we get you to vote for what we want you to vote for? Mm. First and foremost. That's right. You actually went straight into the theme of this entire season of Sunstorm, which is basically around finding your lane. 
so many people want to do more and they also have questions about what that looks like. And, you know, there's so many ways you talked about different levers to pull. There's so many ways, there's so many spaces in your everyday life where you can contribute and be a part of building power and be a part of the solution. And I think movements, one of the things that people don't really kind of think about is the fact that movements by definition are like lots and lots of organizations, lots and lots of people, lots and lots of strategies and tactics and levers, and they all add up in the context of a movement. And you just got to find your little place in it and... Um, and then it moves, right? And it's a beautiful thing. So thank you for laying all of that out because I think you just gave a bunch of our listeners some ideas about how they could find their lane. And thank y'all. I mean, you know, I, I did not get a chance to just like properly like gush, but to be in conversation with y'all and to be interviewed by y'all as titans, I think really for social justice for a long time, you know, it is an honor. So I don't take any of this lightly. We love you. The feeling is so mutual. (laughs) So, so mutual. Well, thank you, Raquel Willis. And people can find you at Raquel Willis on all the socials. And to all of you lovely listeners, write to us, tweet to us. Tell us how you are making your way through the storm. Stay safe out there, wear your mask, and keep washing those hands. Miss Rona ain't no joke. <laughs> Follow us at Sunstorm Pod on social media and tweet us at iJimpu and at Alicia Garza, hashtag Sunstorm. We cannot wait to hear from you. Until next week. Mwah. Thanks for listening. Sunstorm is a project of the National Domestic Workers Alliance in collaboration with Participant. Sunstorm is executive produced by Alicia Garza, Ai-Jen Poo, and Christina Mevzapgar. Sunstorm is produced by Amy S. Choi and Rebecca Lehrer of the Mashup Americans. Producers are Shelby Sandlin, Mary Phillips Sandy, and Mia Warren. Original music composed by Jen Kwok and Jody Shelton. You two are dimple twins. <laughs> <laughs>